the U.S. is losing ground in its backyard, Latin America, while China has been busy making major inroads there through its checkbook. We look at how the dynamics have shifted ahead of a meeting between President Biden and other world leaders. What would China do if it's preparing for a war with Taiwan? A top Chinese economist is urging China to take over Taiwan's TSMC, the world's major advanced chip maker. She says that's to combat potential U.S. sanctions. And what if the World Health Organization gained the power to decide how to deal with pandemics, overriding all other nations involved? That's what one proposal from the Biden administration could mean for the future. But what is the biggest concern? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Before we start, a quick thank you to today's sponsor, Shenyun Performing Arts. Have you ever wondered what China was like before the Communist Party took over in 1949? This show depicts just that. Shenyun showcases China's rich cultural heritage and what the regime destroyed, which is why the performance is banned in China. Captivating and uplifting, Shenyun brings to life the legendary heroes of old, portraying the spirituality and deep wisdom present in ancient Chinese tradition. Get your tickets today at shenyun.show slash China in focus. Enter the code CN in focus with no spaces to waive ticket fees. President Biden is kicking off a big gathering on Wednesday called the Summit of the Americas. The meeting brings together heads of state from the Western Hemisphere to discuss critical issues in the region. The summit is also seen as a key platform for countering China. But one of America's most important allies in the region, Mexico, is boycotting the event. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on why. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador announced on Monday he will not go to the summit because not all countries of the Americas are invited. López Obrador says he will send Mexico's foreign minister instead. The Mexican president says he still plans to meet with President Joe Biden in July to talk about immigration and more U.S. investment in Central America. Other leaders from Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador are also declining to attend. State Department spokesperson Ned Price says the U.S. understands the Mexican president's position. We, again, recognize and respect uh, the position of our allies in supporting and support of inclusive dialogue. Price defended Washington's decision to exclude Cuba, Venezuela and Nicaragua from the meeting, saying as the convener of the summit, the United States has broad discretion over who is invited to participate. One of uh, the key elements of this summit is democratic governance. Uh, and these three countries are uh, not exemplars, to put it mildly, uh, of democratic governance. The president has to stick by his uh, principle. He believes that he needs to stick by his principles and not invite dictators. But many experts and critics say the event could turn into an embarrassment for President Biden, with no meaningful progress if only a fraction of Latin American countries attend. If you're going to host a summit, uh, you need to get your ducks in order, not just days, but weeks and months in advance. And uh, the White House doesn't seem to have been able to muster that level of necessary attention. Biden has struggled to assert U.S. leadership in the region where mistrust of the U.S. runs deep. China has made major inroads in Latin America over the past two decades, as U.S. foreign policy has been focusing on wars in the Middle East and now Russia's invasion of Ukraine. 
Former White House National Security Director for South America, Benjamin Gadon, says it's critical the U.S. shows it's serious about investing in the region. Latin America right now is in desperate, urgent need of international support. It has enormous potential to help fortify supply chains, to provide copper and lithium and other critical minerals for green technologies. It has opportunities for friendshoring to put uh, U.S. investment instead of in distant uh, totalitarian states in local democratic states. It has opportunities for renewable energy. It's the first time the summit will be held in the U.S. since 1994, when former President Bill Clinton convened the first meeting in Miami, Florida. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Latin America has traditionally been considered America's backyard, but the U.S. is losing ground there, while China has been advancing through trade and investment. The U.S. remains Latin America's top trading partner, but if Mexico gets excluded from the picture, then China will have already replaced the U.S. as the top partner to the rest of the region. That's according to a Reuters analysis of U.N. trade data. Excluding Mexico, two-way trade between China and Latin America hit nearly $250 billion last year. In comparison, the region's trade volume with the U.S. stands at just under $175 billion. America is able to keep its top Latin America trading partner status because of Mexico. The two signed a free trade deal in the 90s, and trade volume between the two overshadows Washington's commerce with the rest of Latin America. Last year, Mexico's trade flows with America stood at over $600 billion. Mexico's trade with China reached around $110 billion. In the meantime, China has been promoting its major investment project in Latin America, the Belt and Road Initiative, though critics call it Beijing's debt trap diplomacy. Under it, the regime offers billions of dollars in loans to developing countries, earmarked for building up their infrastructure. But when countries fail to pay back the money, the regime then takes control of their strategic assets, like ports that could prove useful for military purposes. Over 20 Latin America and Caribbean nations have signed up for China's Belt and Road Initiative. The Biden administration has sent aides to Latin America in an attempt to convince them that the U.S. is a more reliable and transparent business partner. But a U.S. official told Reuters that Washington is facing a tough challenge there. The official said as long as China is ready to put its cash on the table, the U.S. seems to be fighting a losing battle. The official spoke on the condition of anonymity. The Summit of the Americas is currently underway in Los Angeles. The city is home to the largest Latino community in the U.S. President Biden is expected to introduce a new economic agenda for the region while he's there. Though administration officials say it will not include new trade agreements. The new agenda aims to mobilize investments, create clean energy jobs, and strengthen supply chains. Any new trade deals could face domestic pushback. Biden promised American voters before that he would not sign any new deals until he's made major investments at home. A top Chinese economist is adding fuel to Beijing's fire when it comes to its threats on Taiwan. Chen Wenling is the chief economist at the China Center for International Economic Exchanges. That research group is overseen by China's top economic planning agency. 
Chen Wenling called on Beijing to seize Taiwanese semiconductor giant TSMC. Almost all modern technology requires semiconductors, from iPhones to computers, cars and weapons. TSMC is one of the world's most advanced chip makers. So Beijing takeover of the company would have huge ripple effects. She made the remarks last Monday in a forum hosted by a university in Beijing. She took aim at American politicians and strategists making China policies, calling them out of their minds and out of direction. She added that China must not have any illusions and must prepare to fight. Chen also urged China to retake Taiwan in case that the U.S. and the West decide to impose sanctions on China like they did with Russia. She added that, quote, especially in the reconstruction of the industrial chain and supply chain, we must seize TSMC. Worth noting, Taiwan has never been ruled by communist China. The island is governed by its own leaders and democratic constitution. Chen's comments about retaking Taiwan are in line with Beijing's One China policy, which considers the island to be part of mainland Chinese territory. Media reports say TSMC plans to build six chip manufacturing plants in the U.S. as part of efforts to transfer its chip production to safer locations. The company has announced plans for just one factory so far. To that plan, Chen said China must not let all the goals of the transfer be achieved. TSMC declined to comment on Chen's remarks. In line of Chinese economist Chen Wenling's comments, we hear from experts about what makes Taiwan chipmaker TSMC so critical for technology, both in the U.S. and elsewhere. NDD's Faye Quarter brings us the details. TSMC, in my opinion, is the, it's, has become the most important semiconductor company in the world. Why? Because its process technology is the best. And the companies that need semiconductor chips manufactured at the highest levels, five nanometer, three nanometer, two nanometer, and so on, will need to go primarily to TSMC. Rupert Hammond Chambers is the president of the U.S.-Taiwan Business Council. Chambers says semiconductor chips are important because they're used in a lot of modern technology. This includes things from phones and cars to fighter jets and missile defense systems. It's a hypothetical disruption of supply of semiconductor chips from the island of Taiwan for one year alone would cause half a trillion dollars of economic damage to original equipment manufacturers alone. Stephen Ezel is vice president for global innovation policy at the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. Ezel believes it would be impossible for China to forcefully control TSMC. A, those facilities would probably be destroyed in the conflict. B, even if they weren't, um, Technology exists so as to make those fab lines inoperative uh, were they to come into others' hands. And while many are worried about a full-on invasion, Rupert Hammond Chambers thinks another scenario is more likely. It's less risky for them potentially to pursue a blockade scenario of Taiwan's airspace and sea space, where the, the West would be forced to try and break the blockade, where China's, where Taiwan's production would not be brought offline, but it would be cut off and pressure would build on the rest of the world. Chambers says this would disable chip production for the entire world and the West would have to accommodate China as a result. Bay Quarter, NTD News. Recently, the World Health Organization has been pushing the idea of a global pandemic treaty. Critics say the proposal could take away countries' sovereignty as well as directly impact their economies. The Biden administration proposed the amendments in January. 
If passed, they would give the WHO's Director General unilateral authority to declare a public health emergency in any nation, based on whatever evidence the director cites, and also power over how countries respond to future pandemics. This comes as the organization's credibility has already faced questions, following its apparent compliance with China's initial cover-up of the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan. How are China and the WHO linked? First, let's look to the man currently in the WHO's top seat, the Director General. During his election back in 2017, media outlets reported that Tedros was backed by China. We could not independently confirm this fact. But right after his victory, Tedros told Chinese officials that he would lead the WHO to further cooperate with China, reiterating the organization's adherence to the One China principle. That's the policy that recognized Beijing instead of Taiwan as the sole legal government of China. Fifty years ago, Taiwan was expelled from the WHO after the United Nations switched its recognition from Taiwan to the Communist People's Republic of China. The Chinese Communist Party considers the island a breakaway province, hence the One China Principle, despite it never having been ruled by the party. Right now, Taiwan is blocked from becoming a WHO member and has also been recently rejected from participating in WHO conferences as observer. It has led to difficulties for Taiwan in combating the pandemic. The World Health Organization has also come under criticism over its response to the first outbreak of the virus in late 2019. As a global health body, the WHO is responsible for alerting member states to major public health emergencies. That's by declaring an event as public health emergency of international concern. But a U.S. congressional report says the WHO failed to do so early on in the pandemic, despite having the information available to make the decision. The report comes from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. It's an investigation into Beijing's cover-up and the WHO's missteps in handling the virus. The report gave some examples. First off, Taiwan. The island warned the WHO about the virus cases in China as early as December 2019. It also alerted the WHO that there were risks of human-to-human transmission. The only response that Taiwan got was that the information had been forwarded to the WHO experts. Two weeks later, the organization published a statement saying Chinese authorities hadn't found any evidence of human-to-human transmission. That's despite the WHO being obligated to look into such reports and share findings with member states. Taiwan argues the WHO ignored its warnings because of China's influence. China is a member state and a donor and has repeatedly objected to Taiwan becoming a member. On January 22, 2020, the WHO found evidence of human-to-human transmission, but Director Tedros still decided not to declare it a public health emergency. Instead, he traveled to Beijing five days later. While there, he praised the Chinese regime's handling of the virus. Tedros called Beijing's transparency very impressive and beyond words. He also said that Beijing was actually setting a new standard for outbreak response. A week later, the WHO finally made a statement. It declared the virus outbreak as a public health emergency of international concern. The U.S. immediately took action. The next day, Washington put a travel ban in place and restricted travel from China. But Tedros argued the travel ban was unnecessary, saying it would interfere with international travel and trade. 
At the time, China already saw hundreds of deaths and tens of thousands of infections from the virus. Authorities halted flights to Wuhan, the epicenter of the outbreak. But millions of Chinese citizens were still traveling abroad. In February, the WHO praised Beijing once again. Despite Beijing's cover-up of the virus, the organization said China was protecting the global community and, quote, creating a stronger first line of defense against international spread. And even though the virus had already been spreading for weeks around the globe, the WHO did not declare it a pandemic until early March. By that point, the virus had already spread to over a hundred countries and caused over 120,000 cases. Coming up, Elon Musk says China could face a population collapse. What would that really look like for the country? And is the one-child policy part of the problem? We take a closer look after this quick break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Elon Musk is chiming in on China's population crisis. On Twitter, he said that the country could be facing a population collapse. And it is Don Ma has more. Musk's tweet comes after the latest data from China's National Bureau of Statistics, which showed China's population growth rate falling to its lowest level in 60 years. And just 10 million babies were born in China in 2021. This is the lowest number recorded since the Communist Party took power in 1949. China is filling more coffins than cradles each year. Stephen Moser, demographer and president of the Population Research Institute, says China's population crisis is a result of the Communist Party's one-child policy, under which millions of unborn baby girls were aborted. He knows this because in the 1980s, he was actually there in the operating room as Chinese doctors were performing abortions. I was in the operating room as they were aborting women who were seven, eight, and nine months pregnant. Uh, that far along in pregnancy, uh, they were doing cesarean section abortions. They were injecting a lethal drug into the womb to kill the child, and the following day they would then do a cesarean section to remove the now dead or dying baby. Uh, that's how it was being done. Uh, that's what I was an eyewitness to. It, it was horrific. A study published in the Lancet Medical Journal predicts that China could lose over 660 million people, or nearly half of its population, just 80 years from now. Though China is not the only country in the world that's seeing a low birth rate, in fact, many countries are facing similar issues to varying degrees, including the U.S. Manush Pradhan, founder of a UK-based macroeconomic research firm, says that an aging population leads to a shrinking workforce, and that could lead to higher wages and higher inflation, and it could also increase a country's debt. The United States has a significant increase in the forecasted profile of debt, and a lot of that increase in the debt has to do with providing healthcare services, providing pensions, and in general looking after an aging population. Though Moser at the Population Research Institute believes that there isn't a cause for concern for the U.S. yet. The uh, economic downturn, the COVID lockdown and lockup has depressed the birth rate tremendously. Hopefully it will now start to come back a little bit. But even at the current levels, uh, we're much, much higher. Uh, than China and higher than any other developed country. 
Moser is hopeful that with the pandemic easing, the United States birth rate could go back up. Don Ma, NTD News. Back in Shanghai, the city's extreme pandemic-driven lockdown has led to tragedies across the city. Now, victims' families are seeking explanations and justice. Here's more. After two months of strict COVID-19 lockdown, Shanghai authorities finally reopened the city for most of its 26 million residents. Many rushed to the streets to celebrate the regained freedom. But many others are seeking truth and justice for their loved ones who fell victim. Among them is Shanghai resident Yu Zhonghuan. Yu said what he wants most after the lockdown is lifted is to find out what caused his wife's death. Yu's wife, Xi Ping, passed away on April 28th at the Shanghai Blue Cross Neurology Hospital. Yu suspects that his wife died of COVID-19 and the hospital staff's negligence, but the hospital refused to provide clarity. Of the 10 patients in my wife's ward, seven have died. That's more than half of them. I have contact with their relatives. Yu said there was a major COVID-19 outbreak in the hospital, but some staff members continued to work after testing positive themselves. The hospital admitted that there were COVID-19 cases on April 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th and 5th every day. The hospital said they reported the cases, but I don't know if the hospital covered up the cases or if the higher authorities covered up for them. You said the outbreak and the city's lockdown caused a severe shortage of medical staff at the hospital. About two-thirds of this hospital's doctors were locked up in their neighborhoods and not allowed to come out. Many of them were senior doctors. My wife, Shi Ping, was already recovering from her illness. But with the lockdown, the doctors couldn't come treat patients, so the blame is not all on the hospital. The government should be responsible. They locked so many doctors in at home. It was killing people. Other Shanghai residents died after hospitals refused to treat them. That's because they couldn't provide negative COVID-19 testing results taken within the required time frame. They passed away while waiting for those results. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Every once in a while, something comes along so masterful, it leaves you in awe. So inspiring, it changes your life. So beautiful, you wish it would never end. When that happens, it's something not to be missed. Shen Yun, an all-new production every year. performance was enchanting. I feel better about the world. I feel uplifted. It touches you. It really does. The expertise of the dancers was really, really strong. To know that it was live music was really fantastic. We didn't want to miss this. Make sure you see it. Have to come. Life-changing.